The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hello, everybody. My name is Ray. Welcome to the Evangelical Dark Web. Tonight, we are going to be discussing the David Platt situation, the McLean Bible Church situation with uh, our guest, Salvador Cordova, who's kind of like the plaintiff on the lawsuit against NBC. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. How many lawsuits are there? Is there just one? or is There, there were like two. One? There two. were two. Two that are in the press. And ours has actually gotten almost zero press. The other one was far more prominent because it was the first. So if you do Google searches, you're going to get the other lawsuit that I'm not at all involved in. So um, we're, we're going to be talking a lot about the lawsuit situation at uh, McLean Bible Church, which is the church of David Platt. Uh, let's kind of do a bit of an overview of that for you know people who aren't as familiar with the geography. I live in Maryland, so I'm a little familiar with you know the D.C. surrounding area. But uh, David Platt's church or McLean Bible Church is based in uh, Northern Virginia. I believe they have one branch in Montgomery County, Maryland, and then other than that, it's McLean, Virginia. Uh, I want to say like in a few other towns that are yes. in Northern Virginia. So they have a campus in Montgomery County, uh, a campus in Prince William, a campus in Loudoun, a campus in Arlington. And then their main campus is in Tyson's Corner, Virginia, right? Uh, kind of in the Northwest part of the Beltway, uh, South of Bethesda, Maryland. It's near the uh, Virginia, Maryland border. But further down the Potomac. Um, I, I don't even know where the, Potomac is in relation to McLean, but uh, so uh, there, there's uh, when you hear about the term Beltway Bandit, it uh, it is kind of in that vicinity around the Beltway of the of uh, the nation's capital. Um, the CIA headquarters isn't too far from us in in Langley, Langley Virginia. Yeah. So this is a pretty influential church, at least because of the proximity of this church to the nation's capital and a, and a lot of the people who work in government or in the industry, as I like to call it, of contracting for the government. You it know, used to be. Go, yeah. At least this was who the church was largely targeting. I kind of get the feeling that um, David Platt sees that this church is, you know, supposed to represent Washington, D.C., even though it represents the area around and the culture surrounding D.C. He, uh, he kind of destroyed that culture. We used to have regularly coming to McLean uh, dignitaries from the U.S. government and elsewhere. President Trump visited and David Platt and his staff messed that up. They, they were practically apologizing. So uh, Mike Pence used to go there. Um, we, we would have senators, congressmen, members of the cabinet, but that's all gone since David Platt arrived. Uh, he changed the culture and the look and kind of the tenor of how everything's done. Um, and the church population has probably declined anywhere from 50 to 70%. Who, who knows what this, uh, 
the numbers are, but it didn't take him long to destroy about uh, 55 years of building. So what I gather from your video on the history of McLean is it started off with the five families, which is very, you know, mafioso like, but <laughs> the five families form the church. And I, I go to a church that kind of has that kind of background with, you know, the families that pull together resources for a church building and stuff like that. But so it's a common story, but I just like the number five in this instance is funny to me. So the five families started, eventually Lon Solomon becomes a pastor of it. And he just really grows this church to basically what you described, you know, very influential in the DC area, you know, dignitaries and politicians attending it and stuff. And then sometime what, after 2011, right? Or it was like 2017 when David Platt took over. Yes. Correct. So just to give numbers to this, uh, when Lon Solomon took over, there was probably two, 300 people. I actually visited the church in 1983. And the next time I visited, the church was so huge. And uh, at its zenith, the average attendance was like, say, 14,000, roughly 14,000. On Easter Sunday, it would just be nuts, probably 20,000. And um, when David Platt came, it, it, uh, even before he came on the scene, there was an affiliation with the SBC. Lon Solomon got sick. We feel that um, one of the associates pastors, Dale Sutherland, started to introduce some changes that uh, started to uh, precipitate the fall. But when David Platt came, boy, the fall accelerated. And it, it went from like 14,000 in attendance to my personal count of about 4,000. In, uh, in person, it was it, it, it was jaw dropping. Yeah, that is a huge drop. Now you're saying that things were going in the Southern Baptist Convention before David Platt was brought in. You know, one of the things is that David Platt denied being a Southern Baptist church, but you think that he would have just said, "This is why you hired me." Like, wouldn't that have been a better defense? Like, you hired me because you wanted to be a Southern Baptist church, and I was. And you know, he was the International Mission Board director, and it's worth noting he didn't do a good job at that. Well, um, I'm actually—I I grew up Southern Baptist, so yes, you know, I, so, I knew that. I knew that much. Well, let me just say this: the Southern Baptists of your, of our fathers and grandfathers is not the Southern Baptists of today, and um, I'm horrified at the transformation. So I just don't want to offend and just offend every Southern Baptist out there. That's not the case, but there've been elements that are bad. So I actually wasn't there in 2017. I was attending Occoquan Bible Church and um, there was an opening in their apologetics ministry and I came late in 2019. And so it's really kind of amazing how I got involved in all this because I really, even though I visited in 1983, and I'd been part of the church like in 2000 to 2005. There was a long um, time I wasn't even there, but I came to teach the apologetics ministry. So um, all that to say, there's some details that I'm not quite aware of. And there are a lot of conflicting currents because the old guard, literally the uh, from the five families and then the, the nucleus surrounding them were definitely very resistant to any sort of becoming part of the Southern Baptist Convention because it's in their constitution. The reason the church formed in the first place is they didn't want to be affiliated with any denomination. 
And so that was a core principle of forming the church to begin with. And so some of this invasion of the Southern Baptist Convention came in subtly. First, it was like, oh, let's just partner and plant churches. And some people were picking up on the fact that, uh, why are we doing this? And we're actually using McLean money to plant Southern Baptist churches. So there was actually an internal conflict probably with people that were like, really didn't care whether we affiliated or not. And then plus, you know, versus kind of the, kind of the core that said, no, we, this is why we were organized specifically, uh, was to be an independent church. And, um, so, so my feeling on this, what David Platt should have done is like, look, I'm not a good fit for this church because it's in their constitution not to affiliate. So I should move on to another church. So what it feels like is that there are some people trying to get um, McLean into the Southern Baptist. And this is where we're kind of concerned and it's still not totally clear if there are financial incentives for a church takeover. And we're seeing that in like Fort Lauderdale, uh, you know, First Baptist Fort Lauderdale, First Baptist Naples. If this was a, um, you know, a premeditated takeover and they're trying to infiltrate. Uh, I know I mean, that sounds very conspiratorial. Time, and this would coincide with David Platt and all that where the Southern Baptist Convention was recruiting very large churches like uh, Greg Lowry's, Lowry's church is in the Southern Baptist Convention. And he basically started off his own thing, you know, part of the Calvary Chapel movement, but he wasn't really, you know, in that denomination at all. But lo and behold, he's a Southern, that's a Southern Baptist church. And I think they did that with James McDonald as well, back when he was a thing. And obviously McLean is a huge prize as well in, in this area. So you see that with a few different churches that they recruited in, you know, the earlier span of Kevin Ezel's um, work in the North American Mission Board. So it's so, the timing is very, you know, coincides with a lot of that. Yeah. So there's a lot that we're still trying to sort through and, um, I may be getting ahead of myself, but uh, we we certainly didn't have all the depositions and testimony, sworn testimony that we wanted. It would have been interesting if we started putting some of these people on the witness stand and say, hey, you know, uh, when did you decide? What's the time frame? What motivated you to do this? And we need to ask some people. It's like, well, did you just totally ignore what's in the Constitution? Because what happened was they said we partnered when we actually looked and scrutinized the documents, it was way more than that. And uh, probably telling of that is we started to get people saying, hey, I'm getting discounts on seminary. And that's only for Southern Baptist churches, uh, you know, Southern Baptist convention churches. And for a time, at least one person has come forward and said, even their healthcare, they're getting discounts. There's this Guidestone thing that, the, that health providers provide because if you're a church that's affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention and that may have um, given huge like in the hundreds of thousands discounts to McLean. So that's how the Southern Baptists can kind of put their tentacles into a right. church. There are and all these so-called goodies, but now you're beholden to, you know. And for those who don't know, Guidestone is kind of like their retirement package. It's basically a way, you know, that pastors can retire with dignity in the Southern Baptist Convention. It's one of the most valuable uh, 
selling points to the Southern Baptist Convention is Guidestone. So the fact is, I think the threshold for being considered a Southern Baptist church is really low. Like you got to be a Baptist church. You donate like a, a few dollars to the cooperative program and you might already be on their membership rolls. Actually, it's and, even lower. I found out uh, it shocked me. Um, and I have experience with Occoquan Bible Church. I was a dual, mem dual member of Occoquan Bible Church and McLean Bible Church. I found out Occoquan Bible Church is a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. And I'm finding out that now they've relaxed the requirements. You don't even need to be Baptist. You could be anything. So this whole thing about, you know, look how big the, the, the convention is, it's, it's kind of like not really accurate. It's now just kind of, and on some level, it's just kind of a financial collective. It's not even really... Now, when you say they don't have to be Baptist, are you saying that they can be Pado Baptist, or you just can be, or are can you be, adding other Baptist distinctives that you don't have to be in order to be in a Southern Baptist church? You don't even need to be Baptist, and a lot of people don't know that. They say have, you have to be consistent with the Baptist uh, confession Asian of faith, message. which is like okay, th uh, that is so generic. A lot of churches would fit that. So um, this is worth more investigation. Um, because the, all of this became new to me, that uh, the, the Southern Baptist Convention isn't really Baptist anymore. And um, that means the brand name, if, I'm sorry to have to use that term, but it, it's not what we may think. And probably they're in a lot worse shape. You know, they continue to decline in numbers. Now, and now the, the church that you were going to, Baptist? No, Occoquan Bible Church. <clears throat> And they if you were, go to the Southern Baptist website and just kind of Google, like I Googled my zip code, like half the churches don't even put the word Baptist there uh, in their in their name. And if you go to some of their like doctrinal statements, they won't say that they're SBC churches. Occoquan Bible doesn't state that they're an SBC church. And Charles Kelly, the former president of New Orleans Baptist Seminary, said it seems like a lot of people in the Southern Baptist Convention are ashamed of the of the title Baptist. And it so used to be Southern was what they were ashamed of. Uh, but now it's the Baptist part. Cause I, I think there was a while there where they were contemplating a name name change, which I remember at the time, like it is prudent to at least think about these things. Doesn't mean you have to do it, but you should think about these things. But yeah, I, but how much of that was, we hate our culture basically, but there is a lot of recruiting going on and, you know, McLean Bible Church and David Platt being the former uh, director of the International Mission Board, you know, that that's huge. They, they put a lot of, they must have put a lot of effort into McLean Bible Church if David Platt's the guy that they have going there. Um, and that's something we totally don't know, but that I would say that's a good inference. And um, I think the fact that we had access to so many of the um, power brokers in Washington, D.C. That seemed attractive, but uh, it didn't take long for David to cut all those ties. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, e even subtle things, if I, if I may share a little bit, uh, uh, a lot of these dignitaries would expect a certain level of dress code out of their pastors. And David Platt just comes up there and preaches in a T-shirt. So it changed the culture subtly. And he started to appeal. He, he tried to make this not 
so much appeal to diplomats, dignitaries, government officials, um, like um, and 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 industry leaders. So Steve Case, the founder and president of AOL, was a huge donor to McLean. And David Platt changed the culture. You know, let's just be kind of just like just kind of the cool church and. Uh, you have all these people with ripped up jeans singing in the choir. That was the culture he brought. And it, it you know, it's a cultural thing. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but it kind of destroyed um, kind of what McLean had meant to the, had, had meant to the area, what it represented. And, and now it's a totally, it's been rebranded and um, that rebranding didn't go over well. I mean, it probably would have been perfectly appropriate for, you know, another demographic group in another town um, to have had a change like that, but not McLean. And I, I think David thought, hey, you know, I'll, I'll just do things my way. I'm not going to care uh, about the congregation and, and the ministries there. He destroyed a lot of them. So the way I liken this, if we take out even the religious language, this is like a restaurant and you get a new chef and he's going to change the menu totally. And then he's going to start insulting the customers because they don't like the food. That's kind of like what happened there. So David Platt was always kind of a controversial figure, at least when I first heard of him, I feel like he should have been more controversial because if you go back to the radical days and that book, you know, I was young, but I was hearing about it, you know, because my parents were like in a small group and they were talking about radical and they didn't like radical because it kind of came off as, you know, we have to sell every, if we're not selling everything that we have and, you know, going on, you know, being in a third world country, we're not really following Jesus. And I believe you used the term poverty gospel to describe, you know, David. Yes, I mean, that's, that's so that's, when you combine that with this church, I feel like there's going to be a mismatch and. Absolutely. But the worst thing, the worst thing is David Platt, lives the prosperity gospel. Um, we weren't able to ascertain uh, in this discovery process um, his salary, but we know it's probably in the ballpark of half a million a year just from McLean alone. And he goes on a talking circuit and sometimes he asks as much as $20,000 to preach this poverty gospel. That's what I find so ironic. It's like, guys, why would you invite someone, pay him $20,000 just to tell you you need to be impoverished, and then he walks away with the money? That doesn't sound right. And um, there is a book called Evan Gullible. It has nothing to do with McLean, but it's like, that seems to be a, an apropos title for a lot of evangelicals. They're good-hearted. They, they're very trusting. Um, and sometimes that doesn't serve them well. They're like sheep waiting to be slaughtered by wolves. And the apostle Paul said, savage wolves will come upon you and not spare the flock. And One thing that is certainly the case in evangelicalism yes. and every other denomination. Let's, you know, not just, you know, bash evangelicals here, but I'm sorry. You no, know, that, that is our backyard. This is our house that we clean. But I, I just want to say like, let no other denomination cast stones at us. Uh, we're we're cleaning. We're at least cleaning our own house, or at least trying to. And you don't see that with Catholics and the Pope, uh, or uh, whatever else. Um, but yeah, that's great that you bring that up. I, I know David Platt has a 
a very expensive house, but the question is, is it really a million dollar house or is it a million dollar house because of where it's at, so to speak? Um, because people got to recognize that, you know, he lives in the most, ex one of the most expensive areas in the country. So naturally his assets are going to look much higher than, you know, what they actually are. Well, even granting that, that just kind of just overturns his whole radical hypothesis because he's not living it. And it's not feasible. It's not probably fair to, to communicate uh, to make it seem like you're a lesser Christian if you don't follow this poverty gospel. What's very sad is a couple at the church who are very, very devoted, followed the radical principles. They sold everything they had. They had eight kids, and then they were poor. Uh, it destroyed, it ruined them financially. They came to McLean and asked for a little help, maybe $500 a month, had the door basically slammed in their face. And there's David Platt continuing to to, to just spread this poverty gospel. And, um, uh, you know, I think he took the scriptures out of context. And it sounds, you know, this whole thing about, um, uh, he, he was just kind of insulting what they call the American dream. And uh, he was me, basically saying that this is an idol. You know, th there was a song, um, God Shed His, America the Beautiful, God Shed His Grace on Thee. For me, living the American dream is if you are blessed with it, you should be saying, God, thank you, because this country has been blessed. It has been blessed with it's been a beacon of light for many years up until recently. Um, and um, it's been a beacon of freedom. And there's so many good things. It was it, it was like it was a, it, it was kind of a hatred of a beautiful culture. And there's no reason to kind of I mean, it seemed like this was just. Um, kind of just like a clickbait shock value title, um, not really good on substance and careful thought. And that's why you have these poor people, you know, these poor individuals that followed his um, poverty gospel, practiced it, ruined their lives, ruined their kids' lives. And um, that's nothing David Platt wants to showcase uh, the effect of what he has done in people's lives. And then worst of all, he's not living it. He's not at all living it. Um, we don't know how many right. millions he siphoned from McLean. So, and I do want, if I had, if I may add one thing, one thing that shocked me in the process of the lawsuit, I'd been doing a lot of research on the Southern Baptist Convention personal. I found out there was a, a fraud that was on the scale of $500 million. Uh, the Baptist Foundation of Arizona, which is was within the Southern Baptist Convention, people went to jail and I said, we hardly anyone talks about this, the scale of financial corruption um, in certain religious organizations. Now, and, I haven't, I'm not overly familiar with that. So you're, you're definitely right that not enough people were talking about that. And, um, and, and so, yeah. So when I was talking about the sheep being so trusting, I'm, I'm just like, we're seeing this play out. And it does, you know, a lot of fundraisers don't want to talk about it because people then would be more reluctant to be opening their, um, it's bad for business. And a lot of these people treat it like a business. So exactly. Let's kind of talk about the leadership changes that were going on post Platt. And that's kind of what got you into a scuffle, right? Uh, with the uh, security. Or... Okay. So, so, so... <laughs> after David Platt comes in, you also mentioned two other names. One of them was Mike Kelsey, who's now the first among equals lead pastor there. Um at least the front man, I guess. And then I forget who the other guy's name was. Wade Burnett. 
who has Wade no Burnett. seminary training. He's he's a lawyer. They made a professional lawyer a pastor with no. I mean, that's okay. I'm not saying you need a, a seminary background, but it's like uh, he doesn't have a lot of pastoral. He has like next to zero pastoral experience, and now he's promoted. It's almost as and if he's a lead pastor, or yes, yes. It's almost as if this is this was you're recruiting the fixer. Uh, an attorney to kind of get you out of trouble when you start doing stuff that uh, <clears throat> like what's happening now, he's going to be there to handle contracts and legal disputes, uh, everything except really doing pastoring. And he's going to handle the business end. And, and people so, are like, what does he do? So the <clears throat> thing that set all us off with McLean Bible church was that they wanted to initiate and confirm a slate of elders and yes. that didn't work at the meeting. So they wanted to have a do-over vote during a worship service. And I don't know how you do that between all these different worship services. And I assume they have a more like an eight o'clock or an, an 11 o'clock service at these churches. So I don't know how you're doing a, you know, a business meeting in this type of environment. Oh, it had to be orchestrated. And I have <clears throat> the chairman of the board, Larry Cooper, on video saying, uh, this meeting was orchestrated, and I just laugh. That's not a congregational meeting. Uh, this is just ramming things down people's throats. The, the thing about that was there was kind of a constitutional crisis. Uh, uh, a group in the church said, look, we may have enough votes to kind of create a non-confident situation, which is just 25%. If we can prevent uh, three elder, uh, two, you know, two elders or three elders from being uh, affirmed, we could cause a constitutional crisis that will um, could trigger removal of all the elders, and we basically could reset the church. That was the strategy. We actually won the June 30th vote, and McLean uh, didn't tell the truth as usual, and said, you know, there's there's irregularities in the votes. There were printed, you know. I mean. Uh printed ballots and stuff like that. That, right? that wasn't true. That, <laughs> Just there's, no, there's no way. Okay. I, I'm sorry to get into the details. And that was the subject of the other lawsuit. There's no way that was true. So what they did, they said, you know, let's not hold the vote on Sunday night. And it looks to me, and this is just me, uh, that they deliberately did it in a worship service. So they could, uh, where people really didn't know what was going on. They misrepresented what the vote was about. And, uh, so I think there were a lot of people there just, uh, yeah, you know, I'll just vote because I trust David Platt and they're checking the boxes. We also suppressed in the June 30th meeting, they were threatening people with arrest if they spoke out. So if you tried to do a point of order, um, you could be arrested. They had the Fairfax County police there on the July. So that was June 30th. So they tried to do a revote and it's not clear what that was. Whether I, I found it very dirty that they have the police there. Like the police officers got to know that those charges aren't, you know, char those charges aren't going to get prosecuted because trespassing rarely ever is prosecuted, especially <clears> if you're at a business meeting getting kicked out. Well, that was really, uh, you know, we were being in intimidated. McLean has armed security of their own. So you have the police officers and armed security. Uh, these are former Navy SEALs and police officers. Some of them are very fine individuals. One of them is a good friend of mine who came to my defense, by the way. Um, but what happened like, on July during the lawsuit came to your defense or during the actual you, uh, I guess, raising up a stink or whatever. 
uh, throughout the whole ordeal of me being at McLean, he had, I, uh, he warned me that uh, McLean security was after me. He told me to get out of the building. Uh, he said, I was about to go in my truck and extract you. He said, because he was a Navy SEAL that he said, I call that personnel extraction. I was like, man, I don't want a gunfight trying, you know, <laughs> between the security officers over me. Um, I mean, it was really tense there. So, um, so his name's Sandy Pigeon. We've been on video before. He was in the security detail when President Trump visited. Um, uh, so he's a respected voice. But what happened in July 18th, some individual named uh, Jim, he came up and demanded a point of order because when they, they stopped the service and it wasn't clear if they really stopped the service, but then they said, you know, we have quorum. And he stood up and said, point of order, I want the meeting minutes read. That's all he said. And um, and that's a requirement in the bylaws to read the meeting minutes? Uh, I think it's been a tradition. Of, okay, because part of Robert's rules of order is standing tradition becomes actual, you know, the rules, because that's yes. that's kind of how Robert's rules of order works. Well, um, that, that all went out the door. And, and we had the recording of these threats. It's so funny. Uh, the director of security on June 30th said, you know, uh, if anyone shouts out, you could be subject to arrest and fines. And I mean, the point of order is like the one opportunity to. Yes. And again, if you're going to follow the rules it's, of, of it's, parliamentary procedure, you know, point of order must be recognized. So what was happening is they were recruiting Fairfax County police to be involved in a business beating to uh to basically do something that is in violation of the spirit of the tradition. And, you know, therefore it's possible that that was even a misuse of government law enforcement to, um, you know, to intimidate uh, people at a business meeting. And anyway, um, so uh, when that announcement was made at the end, the director of security said, please know we love you. <laughs> it was funny. And then on July 18th, someone demanded a point of order and security swarmed around him and escorted him out of the building. We have photographs of this. It looked really bad. And um, so that that's how uh, this banana republic was run. Intimidation, suppression, censorship, uh, you know, single viewpoint narratives, orchestrating meetings. And, and in the Bible, it says, bring a charge before the congregation against an elder, 1 Timothy 5.20. Uh, there's been no opportunity to confront elders for their conduct. Um, they are the final word. And that's, that's a violation of biblical principles. Um, you know, there's no fair hearing. There's no fair hearing of opposing viewpoints. And the Bible makes plenty of provision for the congregation to, to hear the viewpoints, especially if it involves an elder, um, you know, uh, um, doing malfeasance. So you bring up that there are multiple lawsuits, one of which you were a part of and another which you were not a part of, or That's are you correct. part of two, and you're not no, a part I, of two lawsuits? I was not a part, part of two one. lawsuits. You're uh, part of one lawsuit. So let's talk about the one that you're not a part of. That was the one that arose out of the July 18th meeting. Right. Um, and that one, if I recall, was specifically about trying to overturn the election results from the that meeting. Yes, I think it's it's a very and technical the voter rolls and stuff like that. 
Yes, it's a very technical lawsuit, um, which actually makes it kind of difficult for me to describe. But basically, they they wanted to invalidate the election and and, and have a re-election. Um, and that's very hard now because a lot of the, so many people have left McLean that were members. We don't know what to do with that. And so the stalling tactics of McLean was to just draw out the lawsuit as the membership changed. And now well, we don't know that they're an elder, the more or less likely a judge is to overthrow that election. And, you and know, it's two years down the line, which it kind of is right. now. And you they know, changed they the, that's suddenly yeah. invalid. Yeah. And they changed the constitution too in the process like this past May. So now there's a constitutional change and the vote on that also seems really sketchy, uh, one-sided. And uh, it, it was horrifying. It, it looked like a t making a totalitarian state, honestly. Um, I call it kind of the nine Marxist uh, uh, way of running a church. Because um, was was NBC Mar allowed to be a nine Marx church, but not a Southern, but not a denominational church? Uh, David Platt was admiring Mark Dever's work or Mark Dever and and wanting nine marks and David increased it to 12 marks. And, um, I, you know, I'm sorry to be kind of um, polemic here, but it, it really felt like a totalitarian takeover, like uh, the pastor of the church is like the pope and you do not question him. He makes all the rules. And uh, David wanted uh, the authority to excommunicate anyone he wants. And... Um, there are a variety of things that were released on the capstone reports about this. And at least uh, the, the elders had at the time had at least enough uh, resolve to say, no, we're not going to grant you that, that that is just wrong. And that totally makes sense because if in, if elders themselves can be um, brought before the congregation and charged with wrongdoing, then, you know, there's really no way you could say the elders, the final, decider of what's right and wrong because he he himself can be uh you know subject to to, to to sin and so i don't know where where i was headed with that but at this point the constitution's been changed um there are very few of us uh that uh were from the lawn solomon era era they're only a remnant of us and um i think the judges have said you know it may be we you know the most we might be able to do and if i get this wrong someone please correct me the most we could do is say that the election was illegitimate we may not be able to enforce any sort of relief because this is such a mess at this point um that's kind of my take on it you know the judge what happened was the case was dismissed on june 24th 2022 i remember that because that's when roe versus wade was overturned right this is the first lawsuit was dismissed the first lawsuit but then it won an appeal and it's back in the fairfax county courts now and so that lawsuit is still active and um yeah tomorrow I, yeah tomorrow they're going to be continuing hearings and i think tomorrow is another hearing so um uh that lawsuit bought time for other people to kind of just regroup because uh, they, they formed that lawsuit just before the July 18th vote. And so that was a really rushed job. And um, that's kind so of the enter of your lawsuit, which is a different lawsuit. Right. How about you describe what, so the first lawsuit is very technical, trying to talk about voter rolls, who's a valid voter or not, and then overturning an election, basically. Yes. Um, your lawsuit's different, I guess. Yes. So how... How is it different? 
Uh, first off, we weren't really asking the judge for much of anything. And even our attorney was like, well, what are you guys doing? You're not even asking for any money. So we weren't. We knew going into the lawsuit, we weren't going to get one dime out of this. We were going to sacrifice a lot of money for legal fees, and this would be an ugly fight. <clears throat> so I just want to make that clear. We used the word lawsuit, which the New Testament, um, Paul said, you know, don't sue one another. I prefer the term legal proceeding. Colloquially, colloquially, we use the word lawsuit, but we weren't asking for any damages. We were asking the court um, uh, to let the books be open. And per the McLean Constitution, the books uh, shall be available for auditing and inspection. I, I, I don't think that's very hard, and they spent a million dollars fighting that. So uh, our complaint had three counts. One of them was that uh, McLean affiliated um, in violation of its contract, its constitution, uh, with the Southern Baptist Convention. The second, we wanted uh, all of the documents, uh, all the financial records related to the Southern Baptist uh, Convention, and there was a big flow of money. And then third, we wanted the judge to declare, a de a just declare that McLean violated its contract. He can't, and I was like, you know, um, even if even if we got everything we wanted, McLean would be essentially slapped on the wrist. I mean, they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't be facing any civil penalties or anything. And I was just like, okay, um, so what was the big deal? Apparently they felt that this is gonna cause a lot of reputational damage as and, and we felt also that as we were able to get the courts to force, compel them to be deposed, to speak under oath, and to release emails, and to uh, release financial transactions, uh, any contractual stuff that was signed, uh, that that would start to um, shed light on things. And, and the pushback we got just for those simple requests was so severe. I said, it, it, it just reinforced the feeling that they're really hiding something that they're really hiding something. And so they spent a million dollars and it's like, you know, guys, even if the judge ruled in our favor, nothing would have happened to you guys from the courts, except that all your documents and testimonies could possibly be made public. And even that wasn't guaranteed. It was possible the judge could have ruled in our favor and all of this, all the uh, depositions, all the documents would have been sealed from public view. And that's what I mean when I say they spend a million dollars trying to silence us because we are privy to all the things and all the documents. We knew it was going on. And a lot of us were like, this has to be made public. And so our last hearing was to see if we could strike the confidentiality. And our attorney did a fabulous job. Uh, the confidentiality was struck. They're gonna, they're, they've been in six weeks reviewing all the documents that we can release. It's so funny, the last hearing, the opposing counsel, Holland and Knight, Brandon Elledge said, um, judge, you know, you have to keep this confidential because what they're gonna do, uh, the, the plaintiffs are gonna go on YouTube channels, they're gonna go on websites and talk to the press. And I was thinking, I wanted to shout, amen, you know, let's do it. Well, um, starting here, right? <laughs> starting here. I mean, that's all. And they spent a million dollars to kind of keep me off the YouTube channels and me off the websites, just highlighting the documents. I mean, we're gonna have, God willing, we're gonna have repositories where we have 
you know, these emails from David Platt, the SBC, all sorts of things. And, and they turned all this over. And so, um, you know, uh, until we actually get the final blessing from the attorney, I'm not going to have to kind of be refrained here. But I, you know, obviously both sides felt this is what we really wanted. And I, I do have to say something that's misrepresented in the church if I have time. Go ahead. Um, they said, uh, they sent out a letter to the entire congregation saying, uh, we, we just thank God uh, the, 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 the plaintiffs have voluntarily withdrawn the suit as if this was over. That wasn't the whole story. We non, by the way, we want every pretrial motion, every pretrial motion, seven, with the final one striking confidentiality. We non-suited without prejudice, non-suited without prejudice. That means this is as if the trial never happened. And that's very important because one, the case can always be reopened, possibly amended, and it, it leaves open the path for any other lawsuit that's gonna demand discovery. And I, I hope some lawsuit comes out and tries to find out David Platt's, uh, how much he's been siphoning, uh, uh, you know, money, how much money he's been siphoning out of McLean. And so, um, because there's this principle called res judicata, you, uh, the courts will not retry a case that's already tried. So our, our attorney did something brilliant. He non-suited without prejudice. That means this could be restarted and worse for McLean, there could be now, the path is open for multiple lawsuits for discovery. And, and, and they were whining last night about the million dollars that they spent. And they said, this was very damaging. And like, I think you've just about, uh, uh, you've inspired a lot of people to kind of take up and say, we're going to go after, we want more discovery. Um, you know, so and, and they can settle this. To they be clear, um, yeah. you won seven pretrial motions and that basically resolve your case. So it's not moving forward. Is that the way that we should understand this? It's not moving forward at this point. It, it could be reopened. So, because it's already you've already basically gotten what you wanted minus the summer a summary judgment that they violated their constitution right you otherwise have the books yeah we have the books we have the emails regarding this southern baptist convention question so you have that level of discovery and any depositions to speak yes. for it yes and we can post that um we are so, hoping to get clearance we have to redact a few parts but we have the depositions from the director of finance. We have direct. Uh, we have depositions from um, Dale Sutherland, and oh my goodness, the Holland and Knight was fighting. We had a hearing just to, on whether before the judge, Judge Bernhardt. There are five judges that ruled on our case. Uh, this is how hard the fight was. Judge Bernhardt said, um, uh, "Yeah, McLean." Uh, um, we grant the plaintiffs the ability to depose Dale Sutherland and the director of finance. And just like, wow, this, you know, we should have been allowed that way earlier without having to appeal to a judge. This is how hard they fought. They did not want us to depose Dale Sutherland. And the judge said you should have gotten this earlier or. No, we felt we should have gotten this earlier, well, okay. but Holland and Knight put up a spirited fight. They Was anyone about, part yeah. of the Southern Baptist convention deposed as a result no. of the lawsuit? Because you don't have that information of who to depose um i i don't know all the mechanics of this i was not the lead plaintiff and i 
I deliberately, you know, uh, Jeremiah Burke was, and he did a fabulous job. And I just kind of said, you know, Jeremiah, just follow your conscience the way God leads you. Um, but if we got all that we wanted, we would have deposed David Platt, Wade Burnett, um, Larry Cooper. Uh, I had suggested, let's get Kevin Ezell here. We need to find out what's going on. Sadly, one of the people we, we absolutely wanted to depose was Clint, Clint Clifton. He was an NAMB company man and also an, uh, a McLean employee and also a Pillar Church employee and also a New City Network employee. <clears throat> a lot of and, hats. And the last day that he saw Kevin Ezell down there in Georgia at the NAMB headquarters, he tried to rush home in a private airplane and he, he crashed. And so he died. So one person we wanted to depose, um, we can no longer. Um, he left a widow and five kids. So there's, you know, there's some things that are inaccessible to us. There are also financial records that were locked in what they called New City Network, which is a partnership between NAMB, I think, and McLean Bible. Uh, all those financial records could be totally, you know, now just kind of destroyed. I, I want to say there's an article on Evangelical Dark Web about that. I don't think I was the one who wrote it. So. Oh, I saw it. Yes. Yes. I, by the way, I started investigating because of that article and I wanted oh, okay. to thank you for that. Uh, I believe it was I, my I, brother who read that article. Okay. Thank so. Tell him sincere. Thank you. Because uh, there is a lot of this money going back and forth and um, it looks like laundering, maybe not in the legal sense, but kind of in the ethical sense, you're trying to deliberately conceal the flow of money um, from prying eyes. And so um yeah, you asked, uh, you know, who did we depose? And I'd say uh, not everyone we wanted for sure. And but I, enough I people to get some some good stuff. Yes, but again, because we have non-suited this suit, um, there's enough sentiment. Okay, I'm not saying I'm privy to anything, but there's enough sentiment with how much discovery we got. It 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 put some fire in some people and say, this is terrible. What's going on? And um, it, it wouldn't surprise me if another group of people came forward because uh, people have donated millions of dollars to McLean only to see it uh, wasted and squandered and probably uh, a lot of self-dealing and lining of pockets. And they, they may want to get involved. There are probably some outside parties that really want to get after the NAMB. Uh, who knows? Uh, but um, I'm, I'm just hoping this will transpire and we'll have kind of the list of depositions that I think really should take place, starting with David Platt, then Wade Burnett, um, and um, the chairmen's of the board. Uh, Wade Burnett is kind of a shadowy character. We don't know his involvement. Uh, some people have speculated he was involved in First Baptist Naples, First Baptist, First Fort Lauderdale, and a lot of church takeovers. Um, so he's, he's definitely a person of interest that we would like to find out more. Uh, so, um, you know, <clears throat> on some level, our, our lawsuit probably, it, it surprised me that they'd spend a million dollars trying to fight us because we really weren't asking that much. Yeah, you weren't asking for money. You were asking <laughs> for transparency, which is even worse in their eyes, I guess. Oh, and it's so funny. The chairman of the board, Chuck Hollingsworth, this past, I think, March, he said, uh, he said before the, at a congregational meeting, he said, we have, we have absolutely nothing to hide. We're committed to transparency. 
And all the while he's paying a million dollars to conceal the financial records and right. So practical things. Did yeah. All the, all this about money and figures, million dollars on a lawsuit. Did, did they have a business meeting this past week or two weeks yesterday uh, related to, okay. Yesterday. And that's related, I guess the yearly budget, right? Because churches typically have that meeting this time of year, at least the churches I've been in. And yes. So we had a financial meeting. I want to actually rewind the clock to September and because a lot of stuff's going on at McLean Bible Church. We've done some videos on it, but David Platt is, you know, elevating someone else to be the lead lead pastor. And he's still being the lead pastor. Mm -hmm. My guess for that was, you know, salary. <laughs> um, he's not taking a titular demotion. Uh, so what's your perspective since you're closer to the ground there on what's going on with the leadership at McLean Bible church? We, uh, I certainly can't read minds, but, uh, okay. Uh, putting on kind of my poker hat. I never play poker by the way. Um, just figured a figure of speech. I played blackjack, but figure of speech. Um, if I had to guess what the hand is, David Platt is seeing the writing on the wall. So you asked about the business meeting yesterday, and this relates to the stuff in September. They have set the they're, they're continuing to set records for uh, lows in donation revenues since their high of 2014. So ever since Platt came on board, uh, it seems like each year there are less and less revenues. So the inflation-adjusted revenues were uh, the actual figure 2014 is 32 million adjusted for inflation is 42 million. Yesterday they said our projected uh, donations is going to be 16,700,000. 16, That's they went from 42 million to less than 17 million. And so we are to answer your question, I've speculated Platt needs an exit strategy and, and and so the first step was appointing Mike Kelsey and he said I'm going to I'm going to be on board. I'm going to be on board. And we're all taking bets how long he's going to stay. We noticed the change in the constitution the lead pastor only needs to give 60 days notice before he takes off. And um, so we're speculating that uh, at some point he might just make an announcement. It's like, oh, and I'm just exaggerating here. It's like, I have this wonderful opportunity to go to Uganda and uh, preach the gospel. And he's going to just. I think they're a little too based and conservative for David Platt's liking, you know? <laughs> So, okay, I'm obviously exaggerating there, yeah. but uh, we think he's going to try to have a graceful exit and try to preserve his radical brand name, um, and and that's what we think. So some some of us have wagered bets he'll be out before the end of 2024. He'll he'll suddenly say, "God, just I've gotten some great direction from God, and He's calling me to the mission field, and um, it's been great serving McLean," and then. You know, he appoints Mike Kelsey as captain of the Titanic just before he, you know, get, jumps on his lifeboat because the rate McLean is going down in terms of revenue. Um, I don't know how this is going to be sustainable. And then now, you know, some of us feel that certainly our lawsuit that is bringing more discovery, this is going to damage the Platt brand name. And uh, I, I mean, I don't mean to be mean here. Okay. Um, everyone makes mistakes, but. When, when I see this couple that followed David Platt's teaching and they basically destroyed their kids' lives 
because they impoverished themselves. That's very sad. I've seen David Platt vilify um, these poor elderly women that were uh, who'd spent their lives building the church, and you know something has to be said or right. So, um, you know, uh, there's going to be a campaign to say you know he's disqualified from being a leader in in Christendom in in the evangelical world. Uh, he, he's not he's not fit for service anymore. So even if he leaves, he has a history of mismanaging every organization he's been put in charge of. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry to laugh, but that's true. Okay, it is true. But there's a culture of failing upward in evangelicalism. Like, look at Ed Stetzer, who's also connected to the New City Network uh, thing. Because I, I I pulled up the article, and like he's on the flow chart, and, and the thing is like, what has that guy ever done? But he's like everywhere now. He's the dean of theology at Biola. It's like what? So oh my goodness, there, there yeah. is so much failing upward in evangelicalism, and it's just based on, I guess, name and networking and schmoozing, I guess. And, uh, yeah, it's the Peter guess, principle on steroids. Oh my goodness, you know. Um, and and there've been yeah. So uh, you asked what's going to happen to David Platt. I, I'm just hoping people will stop being so gullible. I, I mean, I. How can you be inviting, you know, inviting someone, paying him $20,000 just to come and tell you to impoverish yourselves? And then you know he's going to walk away with the money. Like, do you have like not any discernment? So I, I know something, but I, I want to ask some leading questions first. Okay. Um, so uh -huh. the situation at McLean Bible Church is that the church owns the pastor's home? Yes. Okay, so the church owns the pastor's home, so the church would pay for, say, David Platt's million-dollar home. They've already paid for it. I, I think it's kind of so, like a parsonage. What, right would, what would it mean in the event that David Platt buys his home back or buys his home from the church? What would uh, that mean? I, I have no idea. I've not even considered that. Well, it's not really something that's, I guess, to consider because I'm stating things that have happened, right? So is that a, that would be a definite omen that he's leaving? That'd be interesting. I, I, I'm really sorry that I can't answer your question there. That's nothing I've even explored. Well, you know, our biggest omen was that Mike Kelsey was promoted uh, to be the lead pastor of all the pastors. Um so it's almost, it, it seems like there's been a succession put in place. Um, you know, where it David also seems like David Platt's getting his, you know, eggs and ducks in a row to <clears throat> do an exit since there's some real estate dealings that have been dealt with. Yeah. I don't know that if he bought that home or is trying to it, that I, I'm not aware of it. So if you're privy to some things, that's pretty interesting. Public records. <laughs> But whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, uh, so are you telling me that he bought his home? Yes. Oh, I did not know that. Okay. I did not know that. So that's what I've uh, seen evidence of. Okay. I'm just, just, I'm just going to throw this out. Uh, I, I suggest if you're really good at real estate um, and being able to search public records, there could be some very interesting ones we could talk offline. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, 
but I mean, I saw the home that was bought. I'm like, oh, that's David Platt's home. And again, it's one of those houses like, okay, this is a million dollars on paper, but is it really a million dollar house? But it, but you know, that's the real estate in that area. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying it's a small house or anything. I'm just saying like, you know, right. It's but, not what you think of most of the country thinks of with million dollar houses. Uh, but it, it's interesting that that would be a definite signal that he's getting ready to eject. Yeah. Cause the and, hardest thing to disentangles real estate. Yes. And, and then, you know, his family's planted here and their ties. So if he's bought the house here, um, you know, I don't know what to make of that. Maybe he wants to stick around in the area and continue, um, and continue being part of McLean. So we, we really don't know. He certainly has options. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of taking this one day at a time. Um, but, but I'll tell you, I know this may sound funny, but I felt very vindicated because I've been saying the church is in jeopardy. And when I saw that they're making record low, um, donation levels, I'm just like, I was actually praising the Lord. I said, there, that means fewer people are going to be um, exposed to what's going on in McLean. And um, I don't know if that keeps going, how long uh, David wants to be part of a sinking ship. Uh, uh, some of so, us have speculated that he wants Kelsey to be the scapegoat for the end of McLean. What, because of his comments about torching white people? Or it's like, um, no, no, not just in charge. And look what happens. Well, this I call it called. putting him in charge of the Titanic. And then when it sinks, it's I like mean, you can't blame Platt. You know, you can you blame know, there's, Kelsey. There's a guy that was promoted to field marshal at the Battle of Stalingrad. <laughs> yes. Like, you're a field marshal now, so you're not going to surrender. And he surrenders anyway, which yeah. becomes an even bigger embarrassment But to the Germans. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I really that think. That kind of mentality. Yeah, I, I mean, some of us have thought that, you know. David Platt just um, he wants to at least protect his legacy a little bit. So if McLean does go down the tubes after he leaves, he you know they'll say, "Well, it wasn't me. I wasn't at the helm of the ship when the Titanic sunk." So, so you mentioned that the pop the congregation size was like fifteen thousand or fourteen thousand to now four thousand, so roughly you know one in, third in person. In person, right? They have they have online, they claim, but you know that's hard to count. Yes. So in that they, they lost some people. Did they gain a, you know, more, some people that weren't there that are Absolutely. substantially different. Yes. So how would you describe that? So they lo lost their traditional members, but some of it was offset, obviously not enough by new members. So what, what's the trade that they're making here? The demographic was obviously very young. And um, I saw some emails where Dale Sutherland wanted anyone white and male over 50 to be fired from like the staff, something like that. I've heard stuff to that effect. Um, I do know of one person, she told me she'd been teaching children Sunday school for decades. And they said, you're too old, you're gone. And she was a volunteer and they have, now they're saying we have such a shortage of people volunteering in our kids quest or whatever. And I'm like, this is, this is terrible. You were deliberately doing this. You're deliberately targeting people. One that you felt would be loyal to 
kind of conservative viewpoints and who would be resistant. You're making up excuses and kind of the worst one is just saying you're too old. Right. Uh, that's total age discrimination. And then they had the Sunday school basically fell apart. There was no one to teach it, no one to care for the kids. At least have your Mike Kelsey in if you're going to oust someone, right? Yeah. Like. <laughs> so so uh, the demographic is very young, uh, very impressionable. And I'll tell you what's very disturbing. I'll tell you one interaction I had. Um, she, she's Google. There's this girl. She was Googling, trying to find on Sunday morning a a link to the online service. She ended up on my website where I was talking about all the financial corruption at McLean. And she said, can you stop doing that? You know, um, I'm just trying to get to the service. And I, I said, ma'am, uh, I, I, you know, I'm sorry about that. I can't control what Google presents. In Not my fault. Community. You aren't tech savvy. or Right. But, I, like but I said, I, you know, I said, she's a Christian sister. I'm going to offer grace and I, I can ask her right. some questions. She said, she said to me, and this shocked me. She said, yeah, I agree with you that they cooked the books. I agree with you that they cooked the books, meaning when the attendance dropped, they were still reporting the same year over year revenue. That was my main contribution. And like the bulletin or. Yeah, their official congregational reports. Okay. I said, this looks like money laundering or you're cooking the books. How do you lose 70% of your congregation and still report same year over year revenues? I want to get to the bottom of this. And that's what got me in trouble. Anyway, she said. She said to me, yeah, I, I agree with you that they cook the books, but that doesn't matter. I just want to go to the service. And I'm just like, oh, this is the mentality. This is like Hollywood. You want to be entertained. You don't care if the actors have beat their wives and stolen or their checkered past. You just want to see an actor play the part. I don't care how bad it is. I'm going to see the next Marvel movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, and sadly, okay, I fall into that a little bit myself. <laughs> Where, you know, I said, this is no more than kind of like you're competing with the entertainment industry. You believe you be, it's kind of like Jesse Smollett, you know, it, he totally made stuff up, but people wanted to believe it. And a lot of them did. And even if they had some suspicion he was making it up, they still wanted to believe it. So people are, you know, they're just pursuing the fantasies that they actually may know on some level aren't real. And she totally said, um, uh, yeah, they cook the books, but I just want to go to the worship service. And so when you ask the demographic that's there, that's the demographic that I see. Um, you can give them all the facts that they want, but they just want to to feel. Um, they're, they're, they're there for the worship experience, um, you know, for the fellowship and just the feeling it gives them. Um, the, the, the truth of the, the leader's conduct doesn't really matter. And that's that's what I'm getting because I could present all these facts and they just don't listen. So it's a younger demographic. I'd say less than uh, age thirty or less. A lot of them and are age theoretically 30. younger people tithe less. That's conventional wisdom. Yes. And uh, church world. So that's even more suspicious. And either they got some whales, or something's wrong with these books yes and 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 if david platt was being financed by namb i think you know maybe ezel's running out of his patience right and there's got to be an roi eventually yeah so you know i've suspected the reason they're reporting same year over year revenues when they had a dramatic drop in attendance is they were being subsidized by someone that didn't want david platt to fail immediately and he may have been making promises to um 
to people that he's going to turn it around and he hasn't. I'll tell you one really funny anecdote. When I was before I got trespassed on September 19th, I was walking around and I said, why do you have all these overflow signs? As if you're kind of hiding the fact your sanctuary is empty. They're putting up all these overflow signs. And I have photographs of this. I said, this is ridiculous. Either you're delusional or you're trying to hide the fact you've lost a lot of attendance because the sanctuary was empty. Um, yeah, that's so, weird. Yeah. So I, I want to talk about the ethical question. So lawsuits in the church, very controversial idea. Um, what would you say to someone who says that you're, you violated 1 Corinthians 6 to bring this lawsuit? That's forward? a very good question, and I've been posed that. So when Paul... Okay, in my case, in the case of two other individuals, including a Christian wife, mother, and missionary, we were threatened with arrest and jail. And in fact, they tried to throw Laura, uh, the, the woman I just mentioned, into jail. Wade Burnett came and tried to get the judge to prosecute her, try her, uh, convict her, and who knows what else. She, you know, criminal trespass would have resulted in her being in jail up to a year and fined, separated from her kids. So Paul, who wrote Corinthians, he himself said, I appeal to Caesar. I appeal to Caesar. So our physical safety has been impinged upon. Uh, it says in the book of Jeremiah, I've been banned from the house of the Lord. So on some level, at least three of the plaintiffs can appeal. We are looking at this as appealing to Caesar. You know, we feel we have the right to come before the congregation, and we've been denied that under threat of arrest in jail. Secondly, in the Matthew 18 process, when someone has been told that they're doing wrong, there's a point you can treat them like an unbeliever. They're no longer subject to the protections of being treated like a believer. And third, we use the word lawsuit colloquially. Paul said, um, you know, uh, why don't you be defrauded? Okay, if you have a, a, a suit and it obviously means like there's some sort of financial contract between you and the other party. Paul said, why don't you be defrauded? Why don't you be defrauded? We weren't asking for any money. So I prefer to use, you know, the, the New Testament idea of uh, in Corinthians there when they're describing lawsuit, that strikes me as like you had a contract there, you know, agreed upon exchange of money and services and it wasn't fulfilled. Why don't you just be defrauded? In this case, we are trying to basically, this is, okay, I, I, I posed this question. I said, okay, <clears throat> if a um, young lady or little boy is assaulted in the church, are you going to call the authorities? Most people said, yeah. Okay, so uh, what if there's theft? What if there's theft and, uh, say, the treasurer is running off with money? Do, do you feel you can call the authorities? And, and so we feel that even though this is a civil action, in some way we're trying to arrest, we're trying to stop the theft that's going on, if not in the legal sense, uh, the ethical sense, not theft from us, but theft from God's house. Um, and we feel that this has been a den of robbers. And um, just like we would call the authorities to protect someone from uh, theft, of their, you know, theft of their home, that's how we feel that this is, and maybe the word lawsuit is probably, that's why I've insisted maybe the better word for us was just a legal proceeding. We want discovery. We just wanted to compel discovery. There's no way we're going to make any money out of this. In a sense, we've already been defrauded because we spent tens of thousand dollars in legal fees, and we know that we're not going to be compensated for that at all. We know going into this lawsuit 
that McLean wasn't going to pay a dime, even if we did win the, the quote unquote legal proceeding, um, you know, to reimburse us for our legal fees. So this is not a, a kind of like a real lawsuit in, in kind of the colloquial sense. That, so that's, I mean, that's a very good question. Yeah, I mean, it's going to end up in the comment sections. And I, I kept wanting to ask it, but I put it well, off. Well, I'm glad you asked me. So, but it's a necessary question. Like, I, I see this a lot. I've weighed in on this debate a lot. Sometimes I say, yes, this lawsuit's clearly a violation of First Corinthians 6. Other times I say, no, um, this lawsuit's not. Like the defamation lawsuits in the SBC, I think those are clearly not First Corinthians 6 lawsuits. Uh, violations because first of all one of the organizations in the at all is you know the law firm that defames someone second of all uh you defamed someone you said that someone was a sex abuser uh you know there's got to be some sort of consequence for lying about that and there's damages done and the whole like you said don't act like a believer you know you're not acting like a believer so i'm not going to treat you like a believer and you know, how do you how do you use Matthew 18 across different local bodies? I, I think there's some logistical questions that uh, should be, you know, aren't as spelled out in First Corinthians 6. But you're talking about I, I think you made another argument about you're suing an organization, not a brother. Uh, yes. Documents. yes. I, I saw you made an argument like that in your video. Yes, and and again, I, and of late, I've been saying also, you know, Paul said, "I appeal to Caesar." Our physical safety was being threatened by McLean, and 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 part of this legal proceeding was to highlight kind of the abuse because it was in our complaint. I I would speculate, and this is speculation. I think when the judge saw that, he saw a pattern of abuse, that we weren't just making a fr frivolous claim or complaint, that uh, our physical safety we are being threatened physically. We're trying to speak the truth and um you know so um my view is paul just as paul said i appeal to caesar and it's interesting that you bring up that example because paul you know was put in danger because he wanted to go to the temple so it was him going to the temple and even followed all the rules to do the whole going to the temple uh you know it's not like he had to do those as a believer but he chose to do those to be a witness to them and they threatened his safety, and then he appeals to Caesar's, you know, the story in Acts, what, 21? Um, just name a chapter. Uh, so you're actually very much doing the same thing. You're trying to, you know, except you're not necessarily, you know, on a mission field to these people, but you are trying to fight and contend for the faith in this church. Yes. And yes then everything after that's very similar to the story of paul except they weren't conspiring to kill you and you know taking vain oaths of not eating uh, uh until they do okay I, I will tell you this um i mean i say this sincerely we have been concerned that uh, um certain parties seeing i mean if this involves a land grab of like the 50 to 100 million dollar property of mclean and we are basically impeding that. We've been worried for our physical safety. I've been concerned because the, the money amounts so high. Yeah, yeah. Someone, someone might try to just access and kill us. I mean, um, so we have been concerned. Some of us have been for our physical safety because we feel that the actors 
involved in this could be that corrupt. We don't know, you know, how bad it could go. So one reason I actually came forward on the internet, I said, in case anything happens to me, I wanted to make this public. And um, because I felt I was uh, uncovering money laundering. And who do you think would be doing the money laundering? Just another organization like the North American Mission Board or someone else? The North American Mission Board would be my first suspect, thought. I guess. Yes, yes. Um, and and again, th this could be the sort of money laundering that couldn't get anyone in legal trouble, but it would certainly raise ethical concerns uh, that this was done to, to hide where money was really, you know, what was the final destination of the money? They're, they're trying, uh, it feels like um, there's a lot of smokescreen and subterfuge to, to, to prevent the identification of where the money goes. And there's right. lots, of, there's a lots of under the table deals. Um, I talked to Bobby Gilstrap recently. He was Will McCraney before Will McCraney um, filed his defamation suit. And he said, I've seen it all, Sal. There's, there's, he, he said, uh, there's so much wielding of power and under the table deals and there's compensation and bribery. Um, it's very hard to ever police, um, you know, with outside authorities. And um, that's what I suspect is going on. And, you know, we still haven't gotten to the bottom of that. Our, our, I don't know how much, okay, just for the viewers, for the viewers' um, uh, benefit, I deliberately recused myself from reading all the documents that came out in discovery and even the testimonies and de depositions because I am a public figure and I could slip. And I said, until we get the all clear from the attorneys, I, I, I'm not reading a lot, but there could be stuff that d delves into that and I just haven't seen it yet. Once we get the all clear from the attorneys, I might be able to give you uh, more as to you know, if there has, you know, if we can describe things more accurately in terms of dollar figures and laundering and the sources and the actors. Uh, but at this stage, I, you know, I've deliberately recused myself from even reading uh, the discovery documents until we get the all clear from the attorneys. We hope that it'll be. In you about yeah. You don't want to yeah. uh, keep your mouth shut when you do, I guess. <laughs> and I get yeah. that. Um, so anything else you want to tell us about what's going on that, you know, I haven't yeah. asked about yet. Okay. The big thing, if I had to identify the thing that really destroyed McLean, it wasn't the SBC affiliation. It was the invasion of woke socialist justice. When when Mike Kelsey and David Platt, first off, uh, Mike Kelsey said, I, I, it came to my attention that he said, it's difficult, it's quote, it's difficult for me not to torch all white people, particularly white evangelicals and Christians, end quote quote, it's difficult for me not to torch all white people, particularly white evangelicals and Christians, end quote. That, uh, they, you know, I was accused of quote mining or whatever. And that's, you know, they said, well, he didn't really mean put people on fire. I said, that's not the point of why I released that. It's the fact he has contempt in his heart for someone just because they're white. He'll see a white police officer um, arresting George Floyd, and he's going to get mad at random evangelical white Christians, even those in his church. I said, dude, you know, this doesn't make sense. Uh, you see a crime committed by someone of one skin color 
And every time you see someone of the same skin color, you're gonna you're, you're gonna just be enraged. And I said that is so wrong. And um, during the COVID lockdowns, Mike Kelsey and David Platt were advertising the socialist justice gospel Sunday school. And when the COVID lockdowns lifted, people just didn't come back. They were so fed up with being lectured to, being insulted, uh, being uh, insinuated. That's the case with a lot of churches. Yeah. And so go woke, go broke. And uh, they're going, they're continuing to, they went down and they're continuing to go down as, as a congregation. And um, I mean, Mike Kelsey's father took him, took Mike to the Million Man March. And it's like Mike, that was. That's uh, Louis Farrakhan. Louis Farrakhan. Louis Farrakhan. The people in the audience. <laughs> yes. Um, so you have, you have uh, you know, Rush Limbaugh called. I'm white, but I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> so you have you have someone here uh, um, in his heart echoing uh, Farrakhan's talking points, and then on Sunday he's preaching, and then you know the attitude is, you know, um, you white guys are so guilty, but I still love you, and it's like, like uh, no, that's not the case, Mike. Um, uh, they aren't as guilty as you say. I am very sad for the. You know the, the plight of the African American community. My brother-in-law is an African American, but um, you know I wanted to say, Mike, look, whatever level of racism there is in the United States, why is it the Nigerians from Africa are one of the the most prosperous demographic groups? So you're scapegoating racism in the present. Yes, it caused damage in the past for sure, and there may be a cycle of poverty. But why are the Nigerians prospering? One of the reasons is. Um, the Nigerians have a very low divorce rate. In Nigeria, it's less than 1%. That mentality has come here. The most successful demographic groups come from stable families where there's a dad. The worst demographic group has the highest abundance of single moms. And so, you know, Mike, you're, he's the part of the problem. He keeps scapegoating the wrong thing. It says in um, the Bible, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her and wives respect your husbands and your devoid immorality, that would fix a lot of the problems. And you can't just keep uh, harping on like the racism in the present. It's whatever level there is, it's not enough to hold back people that, um, you know, can contribute to society and, you know, come from stable homes. So uh, to me, that's really the biggest story. What has destroyed McLean? Uh, it's not, you know, <laughs> It, it's not just this um, poverty gospel. It is the woke invasion. It is it is it is ravaged the church, um, and that's what I consider the the, the real damage there. So I, I know and that was when yeah. would you pinpoint the start of the wokeness in WBC? Um, definitely David Platt. So like twenty seventeen. Yeah, but uh, I think there was a lot of closet wokeness. Um, in the church, even in the leadership. And um, so I would say even the seeds of that would have been before 2017. There, there was there was definitely a current of that throughout, you know, and it surprised, it caught me by surprise. Basically the whole evangelical world is being taken over. You know, we're seeing like Christianity today, quote unquote Christianity today, the gospel coalition. Um, yeah, they ran a nice little puff piece on Mike Kelsey's takeover. And yeah, I didn't do a video on that, but 
I, I'm just reading that and like they're just celebrating how woke this church is. And yeah. Oh, basically the purpose of the article. Oh, 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 wait, wait, wait. There's also the woke seminaries. So I think the seeds of this has been planted and there was there was a, um, a documentary, um, Enemies Within the Church. There were two right. versions of that where they interviewed a university chancellor saying, you know, how they were trying to bribe certain parties or trying to bribe him said, you know, just stop talking about this. And, you know, uh, here's a million dollars, you know, why don't you hire this kind of professor and started to invade. And so then you had people like Jarvis Williams at one of the SBC seminaries. He was pro CRT and the, you know, advocating that, uh, the gospel, uh, um, Racial reconciliation is an essential part of the gospel, et cetera. And so I can't really pinpoint when this happened, but I'd, I'd say culturally it started, the invasion started to come. Maybe yeah, culturally is a different question than, you know, when it happened Personal. in the Clean Bible Church. I, I think, I mean, Mike, yeah, Mike Kelsey, when Mike Kelsey came on board, he kept his mouth shut up until when David Platt got him out of the closet. And boy, then he let loose with right. his Louis Farrakhan talking points. Yeah, I mean, it, it generally how it works. I mean, Mark Dever or Dever was woke in like 2015. You see the woke articles on Nine Marks and stuff like that. Gospel Coalition, I, I don't know how Russell Moore was hi ever hired to be uh, head of the ERLC when he's writing that Jesus has AIDS. Like you, I didn't you know, know you that. Yeah, I mean, it, it surfaced this year, like, but it was a 2009 article, like December 20 or 2009. He wrote that. And I think, you know, Obama was like the turning point for him, maybe. And that's like right after he was elected uh, or no, that's his first year, 2009, not 2008. But yeah, you, you see that, you know, certain things change with presidencies. And I guess like once Donald Trump went in, everything became racist and then. You saw, you remember all those articles, or at least all these things that were we were making fun of, like, you know, water bottles are racist and, and stuff like that. Like, that's the 2017 era uh, of yeah. like of wokeness, like calling everything racist and finding racism and everything. And that, you know, yeah. and then, you know, George Floyd being martyred on the streets of Minneapolis was like the powder, was the fuse that everything went yeah, on. What happened? And then there was all the, uh, you know, the NFL players kneeling. And I thank God that they don't do that so much anymore when the national anthems played. But, uh, oh, there's one other infiltration. Joe Carter. Joe Carter out yeah. there at the Arlington campus of McLean. So we got Joe Carter. We got Wade Burnett. We got David Platt and Mike Kelsey all in one church. Yeah, I, I like to call him BuzzFeed Joe Carter. If you read his articles, they're very, like, five things to know about this. I'm like, uh but you know, yeah, we, we got a crew out there in McLean. Yeah, we got a crew there in McLean. And um, the people ask, how could this happen? I would just say, look, uh, this is prophesied in the Bible, and that's been my comfort. When Paul helped found the church of Ephesus, God warned him two years, you know, years in advance. He said, Hey, you know, that church you helped build, um, savage wolves will come upon them and not spare the flock. And I've asked God, I've pondered why God would allow that. And I think the answer is in Deuteronomy 13, uh, right. where God says, you know, there are going to be false prophets among you. He said, because the Lord your God's testing to see whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. So there's no way I think we can institutionally prevent this because this was ordained by God 
just like uh, the snake being allowed into the Garden of Eden and the false prophets into the into the promised land, and then the wolves into the church of Ephesus. This is this is sadly going to play out because the Lord, our God, is going to test and see who loves Him and will serve Him with all their heart and soul. Wow! Thank you, Sal. Um, I want to thank you. Uh, where can people see your work and catch up with that? Oh, thank you. Um, they're going to be. I'm building a website and a YouTube channel, investigatembc.org, and the Investigate NBC YouTube channel. So that's NBC stuff. My main job is actually defending the Christian faith um, with evidence and reasons. So if you Google the evidence and reasons YouTube channel, you'll find my stuff on that. Uh, I'm a biomolecular physics researcher and a doctoral student in biomolecular engineering. And um, my work has been in criticizing evolutionary theory. So how I got, how I got, you know, uh, pulled into the McLean thing was nothing that I had planned or really wanted. But uh, uh, so thank you all for, uh, thanks to the audience for listening in. And uh, any of you want to hear about, you know, kind of cutting edge apologetics, it's on my Evidence and Reasons YouTube channel. And I'll get that linked uh, after the stream's over. Um, but uh, with that said, uh, I want to thank you all for listening. Don't forget to smash the like button because that helps with the magical algorithms. It usually helps while you're streaming, but, you know, since we're wrapping up. But you can support our work over at evangelicaldarkweb.org slash join. That's our Patreon-like system. We, didn't, we don't use Patreon because they censor, so we built our own uh, to get around that. And that is how you can support us. Um, but you know, you can also, you know, become a member. That's an active monthly thing. You get more benefits or you can just do donate once. I'll give you seven days on the house, or apparently you can do snail mail as well. Um, so reach out for that if that's really what you want to do. But, uh, anyway, have a blessed day. We will catch you on the next one. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc